0: In our retirees' row to this morning, <laughs> welcome to Pediatric Grand Rounds, October 14th, October 14th, 2015. We have uh, lots exciting going on. I had the scroll of events uh, listed. The 10th, uh, the 10th, Chad Hero with a goal of a million dollars is on Sunday. Pray for no snow, uh, or pray for snow, whatever the case may be, and. Um, Big day tomorrow, our first intern recruitment open house starts tomorrow. And I know that uh, with John here, the residency was near and dear to Dr. Marlin's heart. It will do us very well and proudly, as we always do, to make sure we show up uh, in some significant numbers as faculty and staff for the resident candidates, the intern candidates who join us for breakfast at 7.45 AM. And who's going to tell me what room it's in? Room D, auditorium D. Um, over in the conference center. So, um, big season is coming up, three hard months, or three good months of uh, meeting candidates and showing up for breakfasts and telling how great we are. Um, With that, I I would say our our grand round speaker needs no introduction, but um, time moves on, and with new generations of residents and students, uh, Dr. Modlin, Dr. John Modlin actually does need an introduction, and on our scroll we had um, listed accomplishments, uh, some select accomplishments of um, when John was chair, so Dr. Marlin served as chair of the Department of Pediatrics here at Dartmouth-Hitchcock and Geisel School of Medicine from 1999 to 2013. He uh, had been recruited here from Johns Hopkins, having served both there and at Boston Children's Hospital, uh, Duke blue to the core. However, from undergraduate medical school days, uh, John continues to serve and is continuing as pre- professor of medicine and pediatrics here at the Geisel School of Medicine. But was recruited away two years ago to the Bill and Melinda Mac- Gates Foundation to become the de- director, develop the dire- deputy director of polio research, and is going to update on his update us on his. Uh, activity since leaving us. He will be coming back eventually uh, in ridding the world of uh, polio. So John?
1: Yeah, you're
0: familiar. you <laughs> polio
1: This, this will work okay all right thank you except that we're not we're not advancing the slides hmm. well while we're starting this out um, Okay. Good morning. Uh, uh, It's uh, great to be back. I'd like to thank everybody for the very warm welcome. Uh, It's uh, good to see uh, all uh, old friends and colleagues. Um, And um, I've got an awful lot to talk about this morning, so I'm going to jump right into it. uh, As uh, Keith... Told you about two years ago, I had an uh, invitation from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to come uh, join and assist in the global polio eradication program with them. Uh, there are not too many things that would take me away from Dartmouth, but uh, this was an opportunity that was just too much to pass up, uh, and largely because I've had a career long interest in polio, uh, and this is a, a wonderful unique opportunity for me to jump in uh, and make uh, yet hopefully a, another added contribution. Um, there we go. Um, the, um, just a couple of slides in the way of a quick introduction. Uh, this is a picture of polio that most of us remember uh, from uh, the U.S. when polio was such a major issue uh, in the middle part of the last century. Uh, Uh, one would say probably the number one uh, pediatric and public health issue, at least with respect to uh, 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 the um, uh, uh, interest in the part of the public. Uh, The vaccines were, uh, both polio vaccines were introduced in the uh, 1950s and early 1960s, and very rapidly polio disappeared from the United States and from other uh, developed countries. Uh, and the only thing that we think about polio these days has to do with the vaccine. Uh, we've, this has really become a completely forgotten disease, uh, a, as you know. Uh, but uh, this, is the, this is the picture of polio today. Um, uh, very different, um, uh, it is a disease that is now confined to a small number uh, and a, uh, fortunately a, a diminishing number of countries in, in the developing world, and this is what it looks like. Um, these uh, kids who had polio uh, never even had the opportunity to be in an iron lung. Uh, iron lung uh, uh, is uh, high tech. Uh, if they had required iron lung uh, treatment when they developed their acute poliomyelitis, they probably would not have survived. They did survive. Uh, This is a picture of survival, uh, uh, and as you can see, uh, the degree of impairment is considerable. And and because of that, life is challenging challenging enough uh, for um, uh, kids growing up in a developing world. And if you lose your mobility, and in fact what happens, many of these children uh, are shunned by their families uh, and by their communities as well. They're left to uh, basically get along on their own, and so it's a very, very tough existence, and this is a disease that we are trying to uh, completely uh, eradicate. We've made a lot of success. Uh, There are three poliovirus types. Um, uh, Type 2 actually was eradicated. The last case was in India about 15 years ago. So type 2 naturally occurring poliovirus has been gone for a long time. The last case of type 3 disease we saw in Nigeria now almost four years ago. Uh, So type three disease has, for all intents and purposes, been eradicated. So we're really focusing on just one type uh, that's causing the rest of the disease. And uh, uh, for those of you who are uh, not neuroradiologists in the audience, which is virtually everybody, we have the convenient (coughs) wide arrow sign here. Uh, Polio is a disease that is transmitted enterically. Uh, um, gets to the central nervous system uh, through the bloodstream uh, and uh, very specifically attacks the anterior horn cells uh, of the spinal cord and you can see that there's a a white linear streak right here in the cervical cord representing uh, inflammation of the motor neurons uh, in that area. Uh, This is a very, very unique, uh, specific disease. Uh, there are a few other viruses that can cause the identical syndrome, but the three polio viruses are by far the most, uh, the most common types. And um, it was in 1988 that the World Health Organization uh, and their colleagues uh, made the uh, decision to try to eradicate polio globally. Um, the um, uh, the original intention was to uh, complete the disease the goal by the year 2000 that's 15 years ago uh, we're well past that now at, actually at the time that the uh, decision was made to eradicate disease there were two camps there was one camp that thought uh, we've got a very effective vaccine and OPV this is an easy task we'll be finished with it in another three or four years and it will be very easy to do the other camp was that you can never eradicate polio. Uh, it's a highly transmissible disease. There's too many problems associated with it. As it turns out, both of these camps were wrong. It's taken far longer to eradicate the disease than anybody would have anticipated, but the whole me- the message today is is that we're very, very close uh, to, to, to doing so. Um, the, uh, this is not polio. Uh, this is a child with smallpox. Smallpox was the only disease so far have been globally eradicated but much of the polio eradication program is based on the success of the smallpox eradication program which was back in the 1960s and 1970s Um, uh, the eradication program uh, is a partnership Uh, the original partnership in 1988 uh, involved uh, the world health organization rotary international which turned out to be very Uh, influential in getting the program off uh, uh, to begin with, uh, particularly as a major funder. Uh, The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and UNICEF, which purchases almost all the vaccines that is used in the program. The Gates Foundation jumped into this uh, uh, in the year 2000 uh, and has not only been a a major funder of the uh, the eradication program, but has provided uh, considerable operational and technical assistance, which has been my job uh, uh, since I arrived at the foundation, oh. Let's see if it, oops, there we go, um, uh, just very quickly. Uh, To review the tools that we have available to eradicate uh, polio, we have two vaccines. Uh, The inactivated uh, SOC vaccine, um, uh, which is developed in the 1950s, uh, which is a principal vaccine that was used to uh, control disease in the US. Um, The point is is that uh, as an inactivated vaccine, it's a very safe vaccine, it doesn't replicate. Um, It is uh, One dose efficacy is only about 30, 5% 5% or so, but given in two doses, the efficacy jumps up to about 90%. And the critical issue here is, is that uh, IPV is relatively inexpensive. Um, we of course combine it uh, with uh, Pediarix uh, and uh, Penicel in this country as combination vaccines. Uh, and. Um, uh, like I said, otherwise uh, completely forget about polio vaccination. Um, the other vaccine uh, is, was the one that was developed by Albert Sabin uh, in the late 1950s. This is a live vaccine that was attenuated uh, by uh, multiple passage in, in primates and cell culture. Uh, an important underlying principle of what we're going to be talking about with respect to the eradication program and, and the use of OPV globally is that the immune response for OPV depends on the ability of the virus to replicate in the GI tract. You know, for most of us who are virologists, we say that's kind of a duh, We get it. But, but the critical issue here is, is there are other viruses that can interfere with the replication in the GI tract. And because of that, the efficacy of OPV in many uh, uh, underdeveloped countries where there are a lot of circulating GI pathogens The efficacy is dropped, is lower than it is uh, in developed countries. The great advantages of OPV is it, of course, can be given orally. uh, So it can be uh, easily administered by untrained uh, healthcare workers. And it costs very little. The current global cost for a dose of OPV uh, is about 19 cents, compared to a cost of about $2 for uh, IPV. $2 doesn't sound a whole lot for us to pay for IPV in a developing country where you need to uh, provide it for uh, all uh, um, all children. It's an extremely uh, expensive vaccine. Uh, OPV induces intestinal immunity, which uh, is a major advantage. Uh, uh, Intestinal immunity is important in reducing the likelihood that viruses will be transmitted person to person. Um, And so this uh, is, is is a major advantage. The major disadvantage of OPV is that there are rare cases that's actually able to cause rare cases of poliobiotis itself in recipients, and Dick Dordner and I were just reminiscing uh, about a case of VAP that we had here at Dartmouth shortly after I arrived uh, and Dick and I uh, helped take care of uh, uh, in the uh, intensive care unit when it first opened here uh, on on the campus here. The uh, eradication program uh, is based on uh, two uh, immunizing principles. One is enhancing routine immunization, the administration of trivalent oral polio virus vaccine uh, with uh, the other routine childhood immunizations uh, throughout globally uh, through the expanded program on immunization of of WHO. The problem with routine immunization, uh, and, and this involves giving trivalent vaccine that's 6, 10, and 14 weeks to all infants. The problem is is that our routine immunization rates are quite low in many parts of the developing world. And because of that, uh, they are supplemented by what are called polio immunization campaigns. Um, uh, They're sometimes called SIA, Supplementary Immunization Activities, or National Immunization Days. And this is really the heart and soul of the eradication program. Um, this is uh, these SIAs are organized at a national or a regional level, and uh, uh, that are major operations where um, uh, 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 in a single day, or over a period of two or three days, every single child in a country is given a dose of polio vaccine, every single child under five years of age. It's a huge operational uh, um, uh, uh, program. Uh, and then you come back three days later uh, and give a second dose of vaccine. Um, and it's these NIDs that have been uh, credited uh, with uh, the success of the program so far, and we'll be talking more and more uh, about these. Um, the um, other major parts of the program, of course, is surveillance, and there's a global polio um, uh, surveillance network that has been set up by the World Health Organization, which is a critical piece of, uh, uh, of uh, <coughs> uh, as well, and we can get into some of the details about surveillance. Um, here are children being immunized during one of these national immunization days. This is a picture from Abuja, Nigeria, uh, where uh, in an urban area, all children are brought to a central location where these two drops are administered to uh, the back of the throat um, for each child. Um, and then, in more rural areas, the uh, uh, teams uh, will actually go door to door, door to door. And here's a team in India. Uh, uh, um, and the teams, uh, for the most part, in the developing world, in Muslim areas, are for the most part are not uh, allowed to uh, cross the threshold. Uh, of a uh, door, this is just a cultural uh, thing, uh, and oftentimes uh, they're not allowed to immunize a child unless the father is at home, and so there's a, a tremendous number of social and cultural um, uh, aspects to this that have to be fully uh, understood. Here's a young baby uh, in India uh, receiving uh, the drops uh, uh, from a team. Uh, uh, the goal for these immunization campaigns is to try to reach every single child in a given area. Sometimes it's not so easy to do. Um, and uh, here's a uh, 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 healthcare worker uh, having to uh, swim a flooded river during the monsoons uh, in uh, Bihar, India. Um, and I think there's another yes of uh, trying to cross a swollen river on. Um, basically a, uh, a rope uh, to get across to uh, a remote village. Uh, and uh, the program has been uh, very uh, uh, successful. The initial success of the program beginning in 1988 uh, was that the incidents, the total incidence of polio globally, worldwide, dropped pretty rapidly down to around 15 years ago. Uh, as we mentioned before, the last case of type 2 polio was seen in India in 1999, but since then, there's been this, a continuous uh, uh, transmission and ongoing um, disease uh, for a variety of reasons where the uh, virus has proven very, very st- to be very, very stubborn and very, very difficult uh, to eradicate. And here's the inset right here uh, uh, for the global incidence of the disease over the last five or six years uh, from uh, around 1,000 cases now down to uh, just hundreds of cases. And as we'll talk about even more in a minute, here we are in 2015, uh, there's been a total of about 45 or 46 cases globally uh, um, since uh, the beginning of the year, so we're getting very, very close. This is a situation where I uh, uh, jumped in and joined the foundation two years ago in 2013. Uh, there were three countries that had never eradicated polio, Nigeria. Uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan and at that time uh, we were actually seeing um, uh, the disease uh, being spread from these endemic countries to other countries and this has actually been the story of the polio eradication program you eradicate it in one area a a country will become completely clean um, and then um, um, uh, 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 the disease will jump as it did here Uh, from Nigeria to the Horn of Africa uh, and then from uh, Pakistan uh, into Syria uh, as it did in 2013 and this is the situation that we were facing uh, uh, just uh, two years ago this is where we are now Uh, this is the number of cases that have occurred and where they've occurred in the previous six months I want to point out that the entire continent of Africa is completely free of polio the last case classes that were seen in Nigeria and in the Horn of Africa in July and August of last year. Uh, uh, so uh, this has been a major, major accomplishment. And we have a relatively small number of cases that have been confined uh, to Pakistan and Afghanistan. <coughs> so this is where all the action is, in addition to trying to maintain the gains that have been made in Africa, particularly in, in uh, <coughs> sub-Saharan Africa. And as a, for the last six months, Globally, there have been 25 cases. So as you can see, we're getting very, very close uh, to the goal. Um, there are still major, major barriers. Um, uh, this is only one of them. One of The, the, the last reservoirs of polio have all been uh, unstable, very challenging locations to work in because of, uh, children have been inaccessible due to uh, insecurity, from, uh, mostly from uh, Islamic insurgents. Um, uh, as you know, the Pakistani and Afghan Taliban, uh, Al-Shabaab uh, in the Horn of Africa, Boko Haram uh, in northern Nigeria. And, of course, you're familiar with the, what the situation has been like in Syria for the last uh, three to four years. Um, and uh, along with this, uh, uh, the program has been challenged in that there are a number of vaccination teams that have actually been attacked by Islamic insurgents. And as we, uh, fortunately, this is a pro- problem that seems to have diminished uh, over the last year. But both in Nigeria and even more so in Pakistan, there have been a number of attacks, uh, fatal attacks, on teams, same teams uh, conducting the SSIAs, uh, going door to door. And so far in Pakistan, it's been estimated there have been about 80 healthcare workers that have lost their lives uh, due to participating in polio eradication programs, so it's a it's a sad commentary. Uh, again, a problem that nobody ever anticipated would occur at the time that the program uh, first started back in 1988, but now it has become perhaps the major barrier uh, in ultimately accomplishing uh, our goals. Um, but there's been a lot going on uh, to uh, uh, make things better. These have been very, very challenging areas to work in. uh, But uh, the program has put lots of time, effort, resources. uh, And uh, it's not just money that goes into uh, 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 attempting to make improvements here. Uh, uh, It's a lot of innovation involved. And I wish I had time uh, to discuss all of these um, innovations in more detail. but, of course, uh, engagement of national, regional, local <laughs> government and religious leaders has turned out to be very helpful um, uh, in basically winning the hearts and minds of the people that you need to in order to accomplish your goals, in order to just to be able to vaccinate kids. In uh, Pakistan, uh, we've developed this program with social mobilizers, which are local community leaders, uh, uh, and a group of a core of uh, mostly young women who are called continuous community polio vaccinators. These are um, uh, mostly young women who live in the community who are obviously uh, uh, don't threaten a- anyone else uh, and are able to uh, uh, convey a positive uh, uh, um, 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 uh, aspect to the program uh, and uh, have been very, very successful in helping us gain access uh, to immunizing the number of kids we need to. Um, The enhanced SIA schedule means that we're giving these SIA rounds even far more frequently. Now, um, uh, six or seven rounds being given in a single year in different locations in Pakistan. And uh, this is one of my uh, things that I found very, very interesting uh, is the so-called hit-and-run campaigns. There will be an area that will be inaccessible to the vaccinators uh, with uh, um, somebody standing at the border with uh, AK-47 saying, no, you can't come in and vaccinate our kids. But they don't stay there very long. They may disappear and go someplace else. And if there's an opportunity to jump in and immunize uh, kids, we have these hit-and-run teams uh, that do so when they have the opportunity to do so. Uh, And then finally, um, uh, we've actually introduced, and I wish I had time to go into more detail about the scientific basis for this, but we've actually introduced IPV back into uh, the immunization program, which has been uh, very, very very helpful. In in Pakistan, uh, 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 a a year ago the army went in and uh, routed the Pakistani Taliban uh, out of uh, uh, the the, uh, uh, North Waziristan area wound up uh, displacing a large number of people that, ha- that crossed the border over into Afghanistan um, uh, and uh, other parts of northern Pakistan, as illustrated here. But this also provided an opportunity to immunize kids. And as these kids were crossing these borders, you'd grab them uh, and immunize them. So um, uh, this was yet another strategy. And as a result of this, just over the last two years, as you can see down here, the number of children that were inaccessible uh, in Pakistan has dropped from around 500,000 down to less than 50,000. So uh, there has been, and I think it's undoubtedly this is the reason why the numbers of cases of polio have dropped dramatically there. Uh, These are the uh, the SIA schedule, uh, uh, just for the the first half, the first uh, six months of 2015. And you can see that with the different areas uh, that are prioritized, with different campaigns, some using bivalent, some using trivalent. So there's an intense focus on immunizing the kids at, at highest risk. And um, I mentioned introduction of an inactivated polio vaccine. I told you at the very beginning that IPV is not very helpful. It doesn't induce mucosal immunity. And it turns out um, we've done some added work with IPV in these settings, um, and this is a study that Uh, I started when I first got to the foundation uh, in Valora, India. uh, uh, Amongst uh, children who were all one to four years of age in this study, all of them had already been heavily immunized with OPV during these campaigns and through routine immunization. Um, And we randomized these one to four-year-old children to three arms, one that received no vaccine whatsoever, um, a second uh, received one dose of IPV, Uh, And the third arm uh, received uh, BOPV. Um, And I'll see if I can find one more pointer. Maybe. Guess not. Um, But... The point is, and then we challenge all of these uh, children with a single dose of bivalent oral polio vaccine. Uh, this is type one. This is type, the responses to type three. Um, and these are the number of children that actually shed virus after a challenge. And the bottom line here is, is that children who had received the one dose of IPV shed less virus than the children that had received uh, the single dose of bivalent oral polio vaccine. The point being that IPV, as it turns out, has been uh, a, a remarkably good way to stimulate mucosal immunity in kids that have already been primed, even though it doesn't do a very good job of priming for mucosal immunity. The point being here is, is that IPV can actually contribute in a major way to reducing the transmission of polio uh, in these areas, and we think, in fact, that it has. So we've introduced, IPV, as a result of some of these studies, another study that was done in northern India, Um, uh, We've introduced IPV into the highest risk areas along with OPV, and it appears based on some early data that we have from Nigeria to have had a striking impact, uh, which I think uh, uh, seeing uh, um, um, uh, uh, I don't think anyone would have have anticipated that as little as a few years ago. Uh, I think all of you have been following the news in Pakistan. And I think, as you'll understand, we now believe that, uh, I'm sorry, in Afghanistan, and as, uh, I think, um, as you can understand, we're most concerned now about Afghanistan with the security situation deteriorating there <coughs> so rapidly with the gains that the Taliban have been making. Um, and uh, uh, we see this as being the greatest threat now to ultimately uh, uh, finishing the disease. Um, um, finishing the up with the eradication program. (laughs) Uh, A young boy from, um, a picture was taken in Pakistan just a few months ago when we were over there. I want to show you a couple things about Nigeria, where I mentioned Nigeria saw its last case in July. There are a number of innovations that uh, uh, occurred there, one of which are these health camps that were put together. Um, Ah, Jack, thank you. (laughs) Appreciate it. Um, uh, these health camps, uh, where instead of just doing SIAs and going door to door or having fixed post campaigns, the health camps provided a whole lot more than just polio. One of the major criticisms of the polio programs has been it's just focused on polio. Uh, and um, uh, I, George and Paul and others will be well aware of this. Um, and uh, the polio program got smarter about this a few years ago. Uh, so many of these. Um, campaigns involve uh, health camps for a number of other primary health services, uh, other immunizations, uh, um, uh, malaria prophylaxis, uh, a vitamin A supplementation, and a number of other basic interventions are provided at the same time. Um, in this case, the health camps are also administering IPV as well as OPV, and here's a young boy with his IPV immunization uh, certificate and a package of sugar. Um, uh, the uh, And here we are unloading the sugar, and it turns out that sugar is a highly valued commodity. Uh, And it turned out to be a major way to attract families um, uh, to come to these health camps to be immunized. Um, Another innovation uh, that the foundation uh, started, uh, and uh, we were starting to do this before I arrived, Uh, we have one or two technical experts uh, that assisted with this. Uh, But this is in uh, taking care uh, utilizing uh, new technology, uh, GIS technology, uh, to uh, improve immunization programs. And in this case what we're doing is giving uh, a GPS-enabled Android uh, phone to every team that is uh, going out to vaccinate children during the day. Uh, Here they are going out uh, uh, on their daily rounds to do vaccination. Um, The coordinates uh, for where the team happens to be. The GIS coordinates are, are uh, collected every two minutes, and then the teams actually come back where this information is downloaded uh, at the end of the day. And when you overlay this on a map, um, the, the Nigeria and other parts of Sub Saharan Africa, are, the um, maps uh, are. Uh, few and far between and actually very very unreliable so this is satellite imagery uh, of a given ward uh, um, where the ward boundary is in red here Uh, and these uh, red dots are actually tracking where the vaccination team happens to go because we're collecting this information uh uh, through the uh gis enabled cell phones and so as you can see that the vaccination team is immunizing a bunch of kids in this uh village right here or um and then they move along the road and here's another cluster uh of um homes that they will vaccinate and then move along the road to the next and the next and the next and this is all going according to a a plan that they prepare in the morning before they go out Um, but what the satellite shows us are they all these little uh, clusters of villages right here that are circled in yellow that were completely missed by the vaccination teams. And they didn't miss them because they were being lazy. They missed them because they didn't even know they were there in the first place. And so the satellite imagery is showing us where there are settlements that have been missed. And when you go back three months later, the blue dots show where the vaccination teams are now being tracked and getting to all these settlements that were missed beforehand, and this has turned out to be a major contributor to improving um, uh, immunization rates. One of the big challenges, uh, as I uh, suggested at the beginning, uh, is that the efficacy of the oral polio vaccine uh, is not uh, quite uh, as uh, good as it would like it to be. Here's some pretty striking data from India. Uh, uh, this is all of India showing the efficacy of a single dose of OP, trivalent uh, OPV vaccine, and one dose immunizes about 20% of the kids we want. <coughs> and we hope to. Uh, this same number, uh, in, if we were still using OPV uh, in Lebanon, would be about 50 to 60%. So that the uh, uh, immunity um, efficacy is very, very low. In, in other parts of India, uh, uh, some of the poor states such as Bihar on uh, the one-dose efficacy is down close to 10%. So uh, this is a big problem. Um, the major reason for this uh, is the prevalence of other enteric pathogens interfering with the ability of the virus to replicate in the GI tract. Um, and because of that, one needs to give multiple doses in order to, not, in order to achieve a high degree or a necessary degree of immunity. Um, but this is a trivalent vaccine, three types in the OPV, 1, 2, and 3. The type 2 component um, uh, replicates uh, uh, far more uh, robustly than the other two types do. We eradicated type 2 disease 15 years ago, and so the question is, why do we continue to use type 2? Uh, and that was a question that everybody asked. And so if you actually take the type 2 out of the vaccine, You improve the immunogenicity of the other two components, the type one and the type three. In fact, that has happened. And so this bivalent type one and three vaccines were introduced about four or five years ago, five or six years ago, and they have proven to be remarkably effective uh, and successful uh, in these last few areas. Um, uh, They are used only for immunization campaigns so far. Uh, They have not been introduced yet into routine immunization. Uh, But here are some data uh, from uh, India, uh, from WHO, uh, uh, showing the uh, immune response to type 1, up here at the top, and the immune response to type 3 from uh, monovalent vaccine, bivalent vaccine, and trivalent vaccine. This figure is backwards. The higher immunity uh, uh, proportion of those that are seroconverted uh, are here to the left. Uh, but you can see for the monovalent and the trivalent preparations against type 3 here are far more immunogenic than the trivalent preparation is where the type 2 component is interfering with the other two types. And so bivalent vaccine uh, is, now being, is now the workhorse vaccine for most of the immunization programs. The um, other major uh, scientific challenge that was never anticipated at the beginning of the program was the occurrence of these uh, uh, vaccine-derived polioviruses. The C stands for C-circulating Vaccine-Derived Polioviruses. Vaccine-derived polioviruses are just what it sounds like. These are Sabin strain viruses, vaccine viruses, administered to young children uh, in areas with relatively low population immunity due to low uh, routine immunization rates. And as a result of that, the vaccine virus is transmitted from child to child to child in the community, and as it's transmitted, it loses its attenuated mutations, and the vaccine virus actually becomes a virulent poliovirus. Um, and we didn't even know this happened until we had the ability to actually sequence polioviruses, which at uh, first start, uh, uh, arose about uh, 15 years ago, and actually the first outbreak, uh, was a type 1 outbreak of vaccine-derived polioviruses in in Haiti. Uh, But where we have the VDPVs are in the same places where we have wild-type disease. Most of them have been type 2. These are the the VDPV cases that have occurred between 2000 and 2013, the vast majority being type 2. The reason the vast majority are due to type 2 is because we've been using bivalent type 1 and type 3 vaccine uh, for uh, routine immunization programs that doesn't have the type 2 component. And so we're still dealing uh, with these type 2 viruses. And the whole point of this is, as actually it turns out, these outbreaks, when they occur, are easier to control than wild-type outbreaks for reasons that we don't fully understand. Um, And so they are less concern to the program. But still, the message is, is that until you get rid of using all OPV altogether, you'll never eradicate polio. That's the bottom bottom line here. Um, and um, uh, this is where VDPVs have occurred uh, uh, in the last six months. Um, just a rare case in Nigeria. No VDPVs in Pakistan or Afghanistan in the last six <laughs> months. And sometimes you'll read in the news about a case of polio, a new case of polio that's popped up. They're almost always talking about BDPVs, type 1s here down in uh, Madagascar. And just very recently, a couple of cases in Ukraine and the last case that occurred was in Laos uh, uh, just last week, which is not on this map. But we've gotten to a situation where the bars here represent the declining numbers of cases of wild type disease uh, through last year, and this line right here uh, represents uh, the estimated number of cases that are occurring due to uh, vaccine associated uh, uh, due to the vaccine viruses and we we're now causing more cases of paralysis with the vaccine viruses than we are with the wild type viruses and so again the message is we have to get rid um, of um, all vaccine virus use altogether uh, and so this is the grand plan for Uh, getting rid of OPV. We're very, very close, hopefully, to eradication. The um, uh, expectation based on the success that we've had so far is that we uh, will completely eradicate type 1 disease by this time of next year. It's not a done deal by any means, but we're down to a small enough number of cases that that goal is certainly um, uh, a, a reasonable one. And at that point in time, actually beginning in March next year, the plan is to get rid of all trivalent OPV and use only bivalent OPV um, for routine immunization and supplement that with one dose of IPV globally. And so we are now in the process of introducing IPV into all countries globally um, with the anticipation that we'll have this grand switch. Uh, It will all take place over a two-week period in April globally highly, highly complex and coordinated uh, program. Uh, and then uh, hopefully if, uh, uh, if we completely eradicate disease uh, by next year, after about a three year period for certification, we'll stop using all live polio virus uh, vaccines altogether in 2018 or 2019. And then we we'll need to rely on IPV alone uh, for uh, protection against polio. Um, and a lot of the work that we're doing at the foundation right now is planning on uh, ultimately on the era in which we'll be using IPV only, um, IPV is the problem. Is is that IPV is expensive, uh, as I mentioned before. It costs around two dollars a dose. Uh, we can reduce that cost through uh, uh, subsidization of the IPV manufacturers with volume purchase, but that still doesn't get us to our goal. We have a goal of a Uh, 50 to 60 cents a dose, and so a number of the um, projects that um, I'm working on, uh, and this is um, my agenda uh, at the foundation, uh, with the research projects and development uh, projects that we have underway. Uh, It's a complex uh, uh, mix of stuff, but I just wanted to focus your attention on driving coverage of IPV up here, where we're trying to develop a low-cost IPV um, uh, using uh, new um, manufacturing, working with partners to work uh, develop new manufacturing methods that, where we can um, and add adjuvants uh, that are so-called uh, antigen-sparing methods where you can actually use less of the vaccine uh, to uh, induce the same degree of immunity. Um, alum, uh, for IPV here, for instance, is one adjuvant. Uh, the Percy Six uh, program that we have with Janssen uh, is being able to grow up the polio virus in cell cultures, uh, where the yield that you get is much much higher, uh, and therefore can reduce the cost. Um, I, I just want to point out a couple of other things that we're working on, um, uh, to trying to reduce uh, post eradication. After we see the last case of polio, there still a, it will be high risk. Of um, the, our disease modelers are telling us that there'll be high risk that we continue to see outbreaks due to VDPVs because these viruses <laughs> linger, at least for a period of a few weeks to a few months in the environment, uh, continuously being transmitted. And so we're looking for uh, ways in which we can mitigate post-eradication VDP risk um, and have a number of different projects uh, underway to do so, including um, uh, n- uh, new vaccines. And believe it or not, including a new live attenuated but much more genetically stable oral polio virus vaccine. And this has been a very, very, very interesting one. Uh, project. Um, Finally, uh, I didn't uh, have the opportunity to mention it, but you'll see somewhere on here um, we're developing antiviral drugs to polio. They specifically target the polio virus, uh, working with a group at the Task Force for Global Health. The reason why we need an antiviral drug, we have vaccines, why do we need drugs to to, to, um, (coughs) um, um, uh, uh, prevent polio? turns out that there are a small number of individuals out there that are B-cell immunodeficient, uh, who, when exposed to any enterovirus, including poliovirus, has become infected and to become infected for uh, uh, persistently be persistently infected for um, months, if not years. Uh, and we know uh, there are registers now that tell us that there are a, 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 a number rare rare cases, but still a number of cases. People, mostly adults with common variable immunodeficiency, for excreting folioviruses and excreting VDPVs, which are highly virulent, and will probably continue to excrete them uh, for years and years after we eradicate the last disease. The concern, being of course, that as long as they're continuing to excrete these viruses, they represent a risk to the eradication program. Uh, the, You can't get rid of uh, this virus through immunization because they're immunodeficient. They're not going to respond. And so the only way in which you're going to be able to do that is with an antiviral drug. And we have two drugs that we're working on with the task force right now that are um, one of which has already gone into um, uh, clinical trials, and the second will be getting uh, 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 put into clinical trials sometime before the, the end of this year. These are the long-term risks that I mentioned. Um, We're stopping uh, uh, type 2. There are some short-term risks, and that these VDPVs will continue to circulate, probably. And the risk will be greatest, of course, for the one to two years after we stop using uh, OPV2. But there will be long-term risk. Uh, We've already uh, witnessed um, uh, poliovirus uh, uh, accidents, Uh, vaccine manufacturers uh, where Uh, Despite all of the uh, containment um, uh, protocols that they have, these viruses still leak out into the environment. This has happened several times, including just last year um, uh, in Belgium, where you'd think where there would be very, very tight controls, uh, several hundred liters of wild type poliovirus virus 1 was inadvertently. Uh, flushed into the sewers uh, in uh, Belgium uh, and found its way to uh, out into uh, the, the waterway and the public water supply. Uh, fortunately, uh, the Belgians are very, very highly immunized. Uh, there were no cases that occurred, but <coughs> these sorts of accidents do occur, and you need to be prepared for it because once we're in an all-IPVs using environment, uh, where many, many kids probably won't be immunized at all, the underlying immune... Um, prevalence uh, uh, is going to be, uh, population immunity is going to be much, much lower. So the risk of these accidents occurring is going to be uh, much, if an accident occurs, it's going to be much, much higher. And then I mentioned this issues of exposures of uh, ongoing exposures to immunodeficient uh, excretors. Um, Here's a registry of these immunodeficient patients. This is one of our drugs that we're developing, uh, procapavir. it's actually a, a capsid inhibitor that uh, I had the opportunity to work with uh, 30 years ago when I was at Hopkins when we were uh, developing antiviral drugs, and so this is one that was pulled out of the, uh, pulled out of the closet, it was, it was never marketed, and now it's being redeveloped uh, specifically for this purpose. We need a second drug. So we have a, a protease inhibitor uh, that we're working on right now as well that also is very, very highly active in vitro uh, against the polio viruses. And we hope to have this in clinical trial uh, within just a few months. And then finally, a slide for George uh, and Paul. Uh, uh, the, lots of criticisms of the polio eradication program because polio is an important disease as it is. Um, uh, doesn't quite rise, doesn't anywhere near rise to the same level uh, uh, as uh, an important global pathogen as HIV or tuberculosis uh, or malaria. Uh, And uh, the uh, polio program has put immense resources, of course, into uh, uh, developing countries to support these supplemental immunization activities. Uh, But over the last five years or so, uh, there has been a strong effort to um, transition many of these healthcare workers and and, uh, to reassign them to other uh, important uh, priorities within the area, and this is just an example of uh, an analysis that was recently done uh, in sub-Saharan Africa. You can't see this blue figure down here very well, but this is the polio program, the estimate Amount of time that workers are spending time actually on the polio program uh, is less than 50 percent. It's about 45 percent. And they're spending more of their time on these other areas, including uh, routine immunization support, particularly for useless and rubella, and another, other basic health care uh, uh, needs. Um, if it, and a lot of the discussion that is going on right now is if indeed, hopefully, we will be successful in the next year or so what will happen to all of these assets of all of these resources that the, that the polio program has right now. And so major discussions about how they can best be applied uh, in the areas that most need, most need them. Uh, and this is a very, very active topic of discussion uh, 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 w- within the global program. Um, <clears throat> I'll just finish by pointing out that that photos of the last case of polio that occurred in the Western Hemisphere, with louis Fermin in Peru. Uh, 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 over uh, 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 over just about twenty five years ago, this is the last case in the uh, 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 Western Pacific region. Uh, the last case in India. Uh, people thought that it, uh, India was going to be one of the greatest challenges, but India 's been free of polio now for four years uh, and hopefully uh, uh, we 'll see the last uh, case. Um, uh, globally uh, sometime uh, next year. Let me just finish up with a couple of slides. Um, uh, uh, it's, it's been quite a, a trip for me to be a part of the foundation. Um, uh, the Bill and Linda Gates Foundation was actually founded uh, in 2000, um, uh, so it's only about 15 years uh, old. Uh, one of the major impetuses to founding the foundation was uh, the interest that both Mel and the Gates uh, developed around rotavirus and recognizing that the impact of rotavirus disease globally uh, inspired them to become involved with global health, uh, 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 um, global health as a uh, major uh, focus for their philanthropic uh, efforts. Um, uh, in 2006, Warren Buffett pledged about $30 billion of stock uh, to the program so that he has been a, uh, a major supporter, <coughs> uh, contributed in a major way to the foundation. Uh, and in 2008, Bill Gates stepped down from his uh, position at uh, Microsoft, um, and he and his wife both now, their full-time occupation is actually working at the foundation. Um, we. Um, the uh, campus of the foundation in Seattle is right next to the Seattle Center of the Space Needle. I look out my window and look right up at the, uh, uh, across the street. It's a, it's a beautiful campus and I would like to invite anyone next, when you are in Seattle to come visit. Uh, uh, I'll give you a, a tour of the campus itself. Um, there are about 900 people who work there. Uh, and then there are. The foundation also has a number of global offices as well, um, uh, uh, particularly in um, uh, uh, Nigeria, uh, South Africa, uh, Ethiopia, um, Beijing, um, and uh, and uh, in, in New Delhi. The, the major focus of the foundation um, is uh, have three areas that the foundation. Um, is heavily involved in global health, uh, global development. Um, Global health focusing mostly on the major uh, diseases, uh, HIV, tuberculosis, malaria, uh, uh, neglected uh, tropical diseases, uh, global development, uh, many, many uh, programs uh, in global development, particularly um, Supporting the enhancement of uh, women uh, and uh, uh, as uh, major um, economic uh, forces in their communities. So microloans to uh, women entrepreneurs in developing countries. The U.S. very little focus on the U.S. except for education um, uh, is, uh, and then of course global policy and advocacy to support each of these areas uh, as well. And that's it. I want to thank you all very much. It's been nice for so, is there any room for these antivirals um, to be used for new cases to mitigate morbidity and mortality, or is it not? Can you not capture them? When we first started, we first started to develop antivirals about six or seven years ago under a program that uh, uh, from the uh, the um, Institute of Medicine um, recommended this program, recognizing that there may be a need. Uh, and when we first started with this, uh, in addition to these immunodeficient patients, we thought that antivirals might play a role in outbreak control, um, perhaps. Uh, and there might be other places where you might want to use it where you didn't want to introduce live vaccine back into the environment to, because of the concern about developing these VDPVs. When you actually model it and think through the impact that an antiviral could have, it 's pretty clear that the major impact is going to be <laughs> in treating these interdeficient patients, so probably this will be the only reason that we'll, we'll, we'll use it showing. Uh, one spinoff is that these drugs are very effective against other enteroviruses as well, uh, and so uh, as a result of this we 're actually thinking that they're in a de- We're doing this for polio, but there may be some major uh, advantages. uh, And uh, the the developers that are developing these drugs may actually wind up marketing them to treat serious non-polio antivirus infections. John, it's great to have you back and hear your enthusiasm and central role in this eradication effort. Can you just take a minute to tell us how confident you are in the monitoring programs it's one thing, you know, in stable areas, but you've alluded to. Yeah. Places you know, now Syria. So is that going to cause a problem, or what? What can you do in those places? Do right you now? mean for surveillance or for monitoring the immunization program? Oh, okay. but yeah. I think surveillance itself is probably. challenging. Yeah. Uh, I didn't get into this at all, and I probably should have. But one of the basic tenets of the immunization of the. Yeah. Uh, Eradication program is surveillance. Of course, you have to know where the disease is before you can eradicate it. Polio is a unique disease. Uh, it causes acute flaccid paralysis, and the, the the surveillance entity is not cases of polio, uh, but uh, relatively uh, healthcare workers in the, most of these areas are trained to uh, um, uh, uh, report cases of acute flaccid paralysis. Most children who suddenly are paralyzed. They usually are not taken care of in the village. They find their way to some sort of a healthcare facility. And those healthcare facilities, the programs are pretty widely well organized to say, this is AFP. Uh, we're going to report it. The medical officer comes in, does a basic investigation, including taking a couple of stool specimens and send it to the lab. Um, and lots and lots and lots of uh, effort have gone into developing these surveillance programs. And actually, for surveillance, we have a fair degree of confidence that uh, the surveillance programs are good. Um, and the um, w- way you can measure the quality of the surveillance program is looking at the number of cases of AFP that are reported per population. And there's a basic amount uh, two cases per, pop- per 100,000 is the, is it. and if More than that are being reported. You probably have an adequate surveillance program. When it's less than that, then you develop some concern. As it turns out, even these areas that are challenging to get with your immunization teams, the surveillance is still going on, for the most part. And so I think there's less concern about that. Uh, Not. This is what I've told uh, secondhand, but I but I but I believe it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I'm just very general, generally curious as to what it's like for the foundation and how it compares to your time
0: working here. Oh
1: no. That's a coffee that's a coffee conversation. But uh I just did, uh, one or two brief words. It's uh you know, what can we what can we learn from how PRA? Oh boy. Um it's, it's very – somebody said it's nice to be rich. I heard that. You know, I, I can still hear it despite my age. Uh, that's right. Uh, uh, we don't lack the resources. Uh, that was the first thing that struck me when I got there. Uh, I, I think that's no longer what uh, I, quite uh, um, compels me as much as it uh, 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 did initially. Yeah, we, um, It's the, the rhythm of business is very different. Uh, The foundation, uh, uh, of all of the professionals that work at the foundation, probably fewer than 20% are physicians. Uh, They mostly come from public health backgrounds, have masters of public health, uh, global health backgrounds from industry. So I have the opportunity to work with, in a very, very different environment, with a different set of professional colleagues. I've really enjoyed that a lot. Uh, work directly with vaccine manufacturers uh, and developers, work with basic scientists in different parts where we're developing this new OPV. That's the part that I've enjoyed the most. There's been the, uh, the uh, in almost intense exposure to uh, this. The other thing is with the global program uh, in polio, we have a single singular mission, and being very singular mission-driven makes the Um, life around the office a whole lot different Uh, um, and um, everybody tends to work together in a major way Uh, there's a lot of camaraderie within the office there's uh, um, uh, but everybody who's there uh, is uh, highly experienced what they bring and bring a lot of experience to their um, to their position and so that part of it is to me has perhaps been the most enjoyable part of it. Yeah. So, uh, Dan? Uh, yeah. So uh, okay.
0: <laughs> to quote a former
1: yeah. nice to hear yeah. you, but good. And, and, uh, I'm sure you'll figure out. Yeah. Okay. If <laughs>